Hello? Is this working? Oh, you're damn right it is. What's up, everybody? I am back. It is Jeff, and you are once again in the skewered universe. It's been a while. It's been a while, but I'm back. That's right. I am recording now. I am recording even more very soon, and it is good to be back behind this microphone because, ladies and gentlemen, I have been so, so wanting to do this. It's just sometimes, you know, life gets in the way, and you got to kind of push things aside, and unfortunately, this, my creative outlet, the podcast, had to suffer a little bit, but don't you worry, because now I am back. I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, Leanne, my usual co-host, girlfriend, better half, the smarter one of the two, uh, she's in Arizona visiting friends, so it is just me. Just me right now, and probably just me for a little bit, you never quite know. But I got a couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, work has been crazy. Crazy, crazy. It's one of the things that has kept me from doing this. But you know what? I'm moving things around. I'm making moves for me, which means this podcast is going to be something I do a lot more frequently. That's right. I'm going to be in your fucking ears a lot more, a lot more frequently than I was. And I just said a lot more frequently a few times there, but you know what? We don't edit. And if I stumble, that's what happens. This is just a natural flowing thing. And my intro, I know, is a little rambly, but you have to understand, I haven't been behind this microphone since I recorded my interview with Tony Wash back in, let's see, if I look at my letterbox and I tell you when I saw the rake, oh, that was back in August. I haven't done this since August. It is October 11th. We're 20 days away from Halloween, and I'm just now turning on the, the mic I almost said recorder. Well, it is a recorder mic, but that's not what we're talking about. It's October 11th, and I finally dusted off the microphone, broke it out of its tomb, hooked it up. Now I'm here talking to you guys. Of course, I'm recording, so there's no real back-and-forth conversation, but you get where I'm going. So it's been a lot of movies I've seen, but unfortunately, like I said, just haven't been able to talk about them. Leanne and I watched a ton of stuff, uh, and a lot of it was really good. A few things here and there were bad, but we'll get to that because I have my letterboxed open, and we're going to go through a few things. First, though, I just I have, I have a little bit of a rant. You know, I normally wouldn't do this, but it's something that bugs the shit out of me, and honestly, I'm going to open this up to let you guys know if it's the same. So, when I go into a store or some place to purchase goods, like a grocery store, or if I'm going to, you know, a restaurant, like a fast food place, and I'm standing in line at the counter, I don't like it when people have to get so close to you in line that if you kind of move to look out your peripheral they're right fucking there like you can see their entire face 
It's like, back off a little bit, dude. Give me my personal space. You know, it's it's just one of those things. It's not like you're going to go, oh, it's pretty fucking dumb. Yeah, it might be, but it's just one of those little things that I don't like. Okay? Respect everyone else's space. Back off a little bit. And it goes even more so for people in the grocery store because they have these rude-ass people that you're doing the self-checkout, right? It's what I do. I like it because I get to bag my own shit. And I don't have to stand behind, you know, some people who may be writing a check or they have kids and I don't really want to listen to some kid scream his fucking little head off about getting Skittles and mommy tell him that he's going to get a timeout. Yeah, that's another, that's another podcast. No, no, we're not going down that road. Forgive me. We're just going to cut that part out. <laughs> we're not talking about parenting. We're talking about rude-ass people in line. So if I'm doing the self-checkout and I still have my stuff on the conveyor and I'm scanning the last few items, that doesn't mean get right up on my fucking ass. Put your items right where my stuff was just sitting and stand on top of me, practically breathing down my fucking neck. You know why? Because I don't do it to you. If I was in line behind you, I would wait. All it is is a matter of patience. And I think patience has gone out the fucking window lately. There's a lot more than that that's gone out. I'm not touching on it because I said this wouldn't be a political podcast. But let's just say over the last few weeks... And we'll leave it at that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The other thing that I want to touch on here really, really, really quick. I was listening to my buddy's podcast, Talk Without Rhythm, hosted by El Goro. And he had one of his guests on. They're doing... You know, they weren't doing the 31 Days of Halloween. He does that solo, but they were covering Hereditary. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the other podcast right now. But I digress. They got onto the subject of people going to the theater and being on their phone or they're talking. And when El Goro and his fiance were out at the movies, she politely told someone to basically shut the fuck up turn your phone off, watch the movie. And they were told after the movie by these assholes that if they didn't want to hear talking during a movie, they should have stayed home. And El Goro rightfully said that statement should be the other way around. And it is. And here's what I'm going to say. I agree with them 100%. If you're going to go to the movies, you are paying to sit there and enjoy a cinematic experience. You are not paying money to go sit in the theater and get on your phone and worry about your Instagram and your Facebook and your Twitter and whatever the fuck else you're doing. If you can't turn your phone off or shove it in your pocket or purse for a couple of hours to watch a movie, then don't go to the movies. Because I and everyone else in that theater, for the most part, there might be a few others like you who are disrespectful and don't care about, you know actually putting your phone down and watching a movie for a couple of hours. If you can't do that, stay home. That's the perfect place for you to take out your phone and tweet and snap and all that other shit. If I'm paying my money to sit there and watch a movie, I want to be able to enjoy the motherfucker that I paid for. It's kind of like I went with my girlfriend Leanne 
you know, my co-host, as you guys know, we went to see The Revenant. Now, mind you, it was at a dollar theater, which means there was no stadium seating. There wasn't the best sound system. There wasn't the greatest screen. But you know what? I wanted to see The Revenant. No more than 30 seconds into the film, there was a group of five people, a family, and each one of them had to be on their phones talking, worrying about Snapchat and their Instagram. And this person on Facebook said this, and oh my God, did you see that post about this? And I was angry the entire movie. Not because they were talking, but because they were so fucking worried about their phones. And I get it. Some of you out there are going to say, well, you went to a dollar theater. You didn't pay more than a dollar or two for the movie. I understand that. And that was my thinking at first when it happened. Well, that's my fault for going to a cheap theater. But you know what? It's not. Because regardless of how much you're paying to go see a movie, you are still shelling out your hard-earned money to watch a film in the theater. And if other people can't respect that, it's, it's ludicrous. I honestly wish more theaters would go the way of Alamo Drafthouse and, you know, a zero-tolerance policy. It's a big reason why Leanne and I, when we go to the movies, we do go to the dine-in AMC in our neighborhood because it cuts out a lot of that riffraff. I've maybe heard a couple people here and there sit down and talk and have a discussion ever so slightly before a movie starts and maybe converse a little bit about what's happening on the screen during the movie, but not once, not fucking once, have I seen anyone in there pull out their phone and worry about Snapchatting or their Facebook status or tweeting or trying to snap a picture of the video, of the movie, I mean, not video, trying to get an image to post online, like, checking out Quiet Place, nothing. Nothing like that. Because I have a feeling that anyone who is going into the dine-in theater or you're going to an Alamo Draft House or a more upscale theater where they'll bring you drinks and such like that, you're obviously going there for the experience. Now, you may not be a cinephile like myself and so many others are. You may not be this movie fan who wants to go and just experience everything. You may just be somebody who's going, you know what? I want to go see a movie and I don't want to deal with some teenager playing with their phone for two and a half hours. Because honestly, I'll tell you this. If I went to see Avengers Infinity War and somebody had sat there with their phone out the entire time, I would have been fucking pissed and I'd have called them out on it. But I think one thing we can do for those of us who go to the theater, we pay our good money to see a movie. And if you're like me, you don't just go see whatever movie is there. You pick and choose what you want to see. Now, some people will be like, well, no, every movie should be a cinematic experience. That's, that's not my thinking. My opinion is there are movies I definitely want to see in the theater. And there are movies that I can definitely wait till they come out on home video, VOD, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever it may be. Now, there are some that I do miss in the theaters that I wish I would have seen there. Just saw one the other night. Not going to tell you what it is right now, because that's coming up. But bottom line, I think we should all take a stand, maybe. Start telling these people, hey, 
put your phone away. And not in a confrontational way. I don't want to hear about anybody getting stabbed or beat the fuck up. But just, you know, tell them, hey, put your phone away. Wait a couple hours. If they don't do it, go see if there's an usher who actually gives a damn. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. It's a hit or miss. See if they can do something about it. If you have to get them removed, get them removed. Just let's stand up, man, because we're there to watch a fucking movie, right? We're not there so we can watch you do it for the grams. I don't give a shit about any of that. And yeah, I understand I use social media to promote the show, promote friends, post about this and that and the other. I don't do it in the middle of a movie. With that said, let's move out of the rant portion of the show, shall we? Because I feel like I've been going for a long time and looking at the timer. Damn, 13 minutes. Whew. And I'll apologize. The creaking is my chair. I have not had a chance to WD-40 that shit, and I ain't cutting it out because this is the first time I've been on the mic in a long time. So, like I said, I've been keeping track of my movies through Letterboxd lately. And if I go back, it was all the way back in July. July 6th, Leanne and I got to check out Train to Busan. We both thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It's, it's great. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. I believe it's still on Netflix at this point. I don't think it has been moved away. Removed, but moved away. Yeah, it packed up and moved off to a different city. No, I don't think it's been removed from Netflix yet. If it has, look for it somewhere. I'm sure you can find it on Vudu, maybe even Amazon. Train to Busan is definitely one you want to watch. Then moving on, we decided, let's go to the theater. A couple days later on the 8th, we saw The Incredibles 2. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a long time to wait to get it, but I really enjoyed it. And I heard a lot of people said it wasn't good. They're like, ah, it was okay. It was boring. I think for this, you have to be a fan of the first one. Because I heard a lot of people, a lot of people saying they had not seen the first Incredibles, went to see this. I'm like, well, then you're not going to know anything. Because it picks up right where the other left off with the Underminer. But, yeah, Incredibles 2, definitely a high recommend. And then there was a day where I decided to go back in time a little bit. As I signed up for Shudder right around the time that Joe Bob was back doing the last drive-in. And I was going through looking at all the movies that he had been showing, you know, during his special. And I came across one that I had only heard mentioned a couple of times over over the years on different podcasts I listened to. I think the one I heard it the most on was Bloody Good Horror. By the way, check out their show. It's great. Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama from 1988. <laughs> Directed by David Dakota or Decato. I'm not sure how to say it. David Dakota. We're going to go with that. Um... This one, <laughs> it's insane. It's a full moon feature, and any of you horror fans out there know exactly what I mean by that. 
this has Charles Band's touches everywhere. Even though I know it was directed by Dakota, I mean, there's there's always a feel to a full moon movie. I mean, look back at the Puppet Master films, some of the other things. There's definitely a signature full moon feel. It's kind of like when you watch Troma. And I don't mean like the sex comedy Troma. I mean Toxic Avengers, Class of Nukem High. There's always subtle things that you're like, yeah. Troma's got their hands all over this. Lloyd Kaufman has definitely put some input here and there. So, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama. It's, it's ridiculous, it's cheesy, and it is fun. A lot, a lot of fun. I did get a chance to check out Mommy Dearest. That was one Leanne put on a list. We have these lists that we go off of. Things that I haven't seen, things she hasn't seen more often than not. We're watching stuff that I haven't seen. And it's it's been fun. It's it's like catching up. It's filling in those holes. So Mommy Dearest was one that I hadn't seen, and that shit gets fucked up. Uh, it may not be listed as horror, but there's some pretty horrific shit when you think about what is going on in this film. Uh, again... It's it's insane what was going on. But it's 1981, Mommy Dearest. Um, I think horror fans should check it out. It's definitely got a vibe to it. It's, it's messed up. There's some messed up stuff. And I don't mean like gory. I mean just the mental fuckery happening. The craziness of this woman is insane. I mean... Joan Crawford was nuts, basically, the way I took from, was what I took away from this movie. <laughs> she was out of her fucking mind. So, just just check it out. Check out Mommy Dearest. I'm telling you guys, if you're a horror fan, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then, I'm just gonna run through here. Of course, you heard me talk about A Chance in Hell in the Rake when I talked to Tony Wash. If you haven't heard that interview yet, go back, download it, give it a listen, Two guys shooting the shit. Tony was great. It was a lot of fun. And I'm hoping to get to talk to him again soon. Hopefully about Skeletons in the Closet, which is out. Find it and watch it. I have to see it still myself, but I'm going to give you a blind recommend to check it out. Because I think what Scotchworthy and Tony are doing together is great. So check that out. Uh, moving on, we checked out Unfriended. Uh, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but I mean, for something that is essentially found footage, but it's, it's all from a webcam perspective of all the different friends there. It's, eh, there's a lot of things I would have liked to see them do better. I mean, the movie's four years old at this point, so obviously I didn't go see it in the theater when it came out. I'm not going to spoil anything, because honestly, I watched that back in August, August 8th, to be precise. So, uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it. That's the impression it left on me. But if you ask me about Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama, I'm going to tell you that Uncle Limpy was a fucking little cool bastard. <laughs> this little imp motherfucker that came out of a bowling trophy. It, uh, anyway. So, unfriended, meh. 
Meh. So we jump to the 18th. I mean, like I said, this is a catch-up episode. I don't know how long I'm going to go, but I'm going to give you guys the rundown of what, what I've watched. And then when we get to October, that's, that's where I'm going to address a few things, all right? So I ordered the Severin Film Special Edition of The Changeling with George C. Scott. Got to check that out, and uh, it's such a good haunted house movie. It is so good. So, so, so good. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. However you can get a hold of it, by legal means, because this movie is available. Go to the Severin Films website, order the Blu-ray. Look and see if it's streaming online anywhere. Buy a digital version on Voodoo if you're a digital guy. Check out The Changeling, 1980, George C. Scott. It's fucking awesome. It's creepy, and it's not your typical ghost movie like nowadays with a lot of jump scares. There's atmosphere. It's a slow burn. There's a mystery to it. It's not just, oh, I'm frightened. Oh, look at this guy. He's so scared. I love him. It wasn't hokey. It was, honestly, for a film from 1980, it holds up just as well as anything recent that's been put out that's been good as far as haunted house house movies go. And it was, the acting of the characters seemed realistic to me. Like, the answers they were looking for seemed like answers you would want in the real world if this scenario came about. So it's a high recommend from us here at the Skewing Universe, The Changeling from 1980. Uh, check it out. Go watch it. And then jumping a little forward in time here, back to the theater we went and saw The Happy Time Murders. I actually really, really had a good time with this. I like that Melissa McCarthy was just allowed to kind of be a little unhinged. Like it wasn't, oh, be like the girl in Bridesmaids who was kind of just blunt, but, huh, you know, and in your face. She was just a little off and cr crazy at times, but you understand why when you get the story. Plus, I love the fact that... Brian Henson embraced what his dad had done for years, what he had grown up in with this practical puppetry, mix it in with a little bit of computer work here and there, and just make a fun, <laughs> a fun over-the-top noir spoof with puppets. I, I don't think it got a fair shake in the theaters. I think too many people were not realizing what they were going in for they figured oh it's a weird sexy puppet movie with you know fucking and crime and that's not what it was at all there was there was really a lot more to it but it was still done with such fun and such dark humor that i i walked away enjoying it and i would love to see more in that universe happy time murders is another one skewer universe approved find it somewhere, because I think it's probably streaming by this point. I think it was actually streaming like a week after we saw it in the theater, which it gets it out to more people who maybe couldn't go to the movies and see it, but it also could be the death knell. I mean, 
for something that was done so well, I feel it needs some recognition. It, I mean, people are going to say, yeah, I keep saying I mean a lot, don't I? No, it's better than, uh, um, uh. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, while it had a theatrical run, while it did go nationwide, I think a lot of people were not in tune to what it was, that it's a noir spoof. And I'll be honest, I didn't really know more than it seemed like a crime movie with puppets. And it was a comedy and kind of dark. That was enough for me, but then again, I'm different than most people. Your average moviegoer isn't like most of us who are cinephiles or horror fans or whatever you want to call yourself. We, we love movies on a different level. But... Bottom line, Happy Time Murders is definitely funny. Melissa McCarthy was fuck Melissa McCarthy was fucking hilarious. That's I mean, it was awesome. I say see it. High recommend from us here. That being said, we're gonna move into the animated feature from 2018, The Death of Superman. It was okay. It was okay. I mean, it's basically retelling what we all know from the comics. Doomsday comes to Earth, beats the shit out of Superman. They end up killing each other. I say that with quotes. And that's where it ended. They kind of teased Cyborg Superman and the Eradicator and Superboy and Steel with tweaks to the story here and there. So it was, it was all right, but I kind of wanted more. I kind of wanted it to be more about the death of Superman in the beginning and then we get the story of the others. Instead, we got everything leading up to that fight with Doomsday and that was pretty much towards the end of the film. And it, it just kind of left me a little... Eh, it was fine for what it was, but eh, it, it didn't do it for me. Then again, I've never been the biggest Superman fan. I did enjoy Smallville when it was on. But, ever since I was a kid, Batman has been my guy. It's been Batman, and then running uh, running behind in second was probably Spider-Man. A lot of that stems from that 90s Spider-Man cartoon, but also the fact that I used to get up at like 5 in the morning before elementary school and watch the old 60s Spider-Man cartoons. Those were fucking awesome, I don't care what you say. Those were badass. And the 60s Batman show was cool, too. Adam West was fucking awesome. And Cesar Romero was the Joker, so... <laughs> what else could you want? The, the cast was amazing. Vincent Price's Egghead? Come on! Burgess Meredith as the Penguin? And then you have Lee Merriweather, Eartha Kitt, and Julie Newmar as Catwoman? That 60s Batman show was awesome. But I'm getting off on a tangent. Let's let's get back to catching up on movies we've seen. Uh, checked out Terrifier from 2017. Now a lot of you may know the character of Art the Clown. Came from, I believe, that film that he was in previously. And I'm actually looking it up here because I want to make sure that I get the name of the movie right and it's not coming up. All Hallows' Eve. That's what it is. All Hallows' Eve. Anthology film. That character 
was in that anthology film, Art the Clown was in All Hallows' Eve. I have not seen All Hallows' Eve, so I do not know the beginnings of Art the Clown or what the short was in that film. But I had heard some good things about Terrifier, that it was a nice little independent horror film put together well and that this character was really the highlight. So we we sat down and watched it and I I'd be lying if I didn't say I was underwhelmed by the end of the film. That being said, the character of Art the Clown and the actor playing him that gave life to this demented character, David Howard Thornton. I loved Art the Clown. I fucking hate clowns. Clowns are the epitome of all evil in my book. There is something sinister and evil lurking behind that grease paint. I don't care what you say. Clowns are evil spawns of hell. Anyway, David Howard Thornton plays Art the Clown. And he was the highlight of this film. This film would have gotten like one star from me had he not been in this film. The character of Art the Clown is so happy in his murderous... <laughs> oh, what is the word I'm looking for? His murderous uh, times. I There's a certain word and I can't pull it out of my ass right now, guys. He is taking such joy and fun in his spree because it's like he's performing. Everything is a performance. But when that performance doesn't get the reaction he wants, he turns, I mean, just like that. Oh, that was a better snap. Boom, just like that. <laughs> when I move, you move. Just like that. Okay, ludicrous breakover. Yeah, when the performance doesn't get the reaction he wants, he flips. The smile is gone. The face is just so much more evil. It It's a really good performance. Everyone else in the film, eh, they're, they're okay. I just, I, I felt like this character should have been in a better movie. And I'm not saying that this story wasn't good enough for the character of Art the Clown. What I'm saying is the acting around him was so so far below his level that it, it, he just seems so out of place with everyone else. Now I will say the effects and the kills were very, very well done. There is one, one kill where this woman meets her demise and it is gruesome. It is chilling. But it's so well done, and it the cuts are done so well that it doesn't it doesn't glorify what happens, but you do see the end result. You're not lingering on what's happening, but you see ultimately where it goes and how she ends up dying. And it was really, <laughs> really well done. All the effects were good, but like I said, it's 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 like a three-star movie for me. Would I go back and watch it? Eh, if it was on cable, probably. Am I going to buy it? No. 
Do I hope I see Art the Clown show up in something else? Yes, I do. Honestly, I wouldn't mind there being a trick-or-treat-like anthology film put together with Sam as our mascot, and maybe there's a story linking Art the Clown into there somehow. Uh, you know, wishful thinking, right? Wishful fucking thinking, but Terrifier, it's okay. I give it a, a low recommend. I mean, check it out if you're looking for something that has good kills and has... It's it's one of those things. It's it's definitely not for everyone. It, it really wasn't for me, but I found little things that I liked. So it's a recommend with a caveat. Let's, let's say that. We're just going to keep on moving here. Happy Death Day, that one. That one was really, really, really fun. Uh... I didn't expect it to be the trailers led me to think it would be fun, and then I was like, well, it may not be as fun as I think, because there's a lot of creative editing that goes in the trailers these days. We all know that. We know it happens. And a lot of times, a lot of times, we get to see the movie thinking it's going to be like the trailers we watched, and then it's nothing like that. The tone is completely different. Everything has changed. And, whoa, I hit my tripod there. Sorry about that if you heard a noise, but we don't edit. And like I said, this is moving right along. This Wow, 33 minutes. We're just banging these out, aren't we? But happy death day. It was so much fun. I am not spoiling this one. Um for the sake of I want people to see it, and I watched it on September 14th, so it's about a month ago. I'm not going to remember a lot of details. But it was it was good. I like the premise of it being Groundhog Day, but with a slasher twist. It's a high recommend from the Skewered Universe. Check it out. I think we saw it on Amazon Prime, actually. Or did I rent it? Did I rent it or was it on Prime? <sighs> Either way, it's available. It's on Voodoo. I think it's on Amazon Prime, but don't, don't hold that. Don't hold me to that. It may not be there. I don't want to do a whole lot of clicking on the internet right now. So like I said, this is a catch-up episode. So I have my letterboxed here. Where I'm letting you know what I saw in the time that I was out and what's been going on and rants and... You know, when we get to October, I'll talk more about that, and then we'll get into my cult classic recommend, and then we'll call it a show. Because I can't really review anything quite yet, because I have a plan, and we'll reveal that in the end. Stop rambling, Jeff, and get back to your list. Happy Death Day, check it out. Uh, moving on... Uh, I watched The Time Traveler's Wife. I know it's not horror, but I actually really, really like that one. I know it's nine years old. Leanne said she had seen it once and it was interesting. She liked it, so I was like, what the hell? And, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not giving it a recommend to this audience here, but if you're looking for something that your girlfriend may want to watch and you guys can kind of watch together, yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. So, we just keep cranking these out. I finally, finally got to watch a movie that came out 20 freaking years ago. Because I didn't watch it at the time, because uh, maybe I thought it was too weird. That would be Hunter S. Thompson, D. 
the Hunter S. Thompson story, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Directed by Terry Gilliam, starring Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro, and that movie is a fucking weird-ass trip, and I loved every second of it. I definitely want to pick it up on Blu-ray and add it to my collection because, <laughs> holy shit, just everything about it is so well done. You never know if what you're seeing is reality or just so surreal or something that's going on in their head. You never know, and I love that. And that is a trademark of a lot of Terry Gilliam's films that he's done. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of Time Bandits, and that, I'm like, what the fuck is that? I uh, haven't seen Brazil, but this movie makes me want to go see more of Ter Terry Gilliam's work. Uh, I know he did a lot with Python. He did a lot of the animated... Um, what do they call them? The animated shorts or transitions between skits on Monty Python's Flying Circus. I think a lot of the intro stuff was him as well. But yeah, I had a lot of fun watching Fear and Loathing. It's it's good. Why it took me 20 years to see it, I'll never know. But it's it's a gap I filled in. I plugged that hole. And then I got to watch Queen of the Dam the next night. And I actually enjoyed it. I I thought it was fun. I mean, okay. This came out the same year as Blade 2. And I'll be honest, Blade is one of my one of my top vampire movies. I enjoy it. Not because it's like, oh, it's Blade and it's Marvel. It was because it was at the time what I was looking for in a vampire movie. The vampires were essentially like monsters. Not as much as 30 Days a Night. That's a topic for another show. But they were trying to kill humans to eat. Yes, there was a whole council where they were trying to live amongst them and keep in the shadows, but... Nah. So, back to Queen of the Damned. It was, it was good. I enjoyed it. I honestly think that Stuart Townsend was a better... Lestat than Tom Cruise. Some people may want to crucify me for that. Hey, I'm just not a big Tom Cruise fan. There's few and far between performances of Tom Cruise's that I've enjoyed. So, yeah. Not a Cruise fan. So I think Stuart Townsend did a better job. Especially with the arrogance and the cockiness of Lestat. Uh, Aaliyah did a great job as Akasha, her final film role, so that's was a little sad to watch, knowing what happened to her, but she did a great job. I mean, the whole cast was pretty good. The movie overall was pretty good itself. Um, I actually enjoyed it more than Interview with the Vampire, which I've seen as well now. Uh, I didn't talk about that one, but everyone's seen that. I don't need to talk about it. But yeah, Queen of the Damned, I'd, I'd give it a recommend. If you like the more flowery language vampire films, I mean, it's Anne Rice, so you know how it's going to be. If you've seen Interview, you know what Queen of the Damned is going to be like as far as the language and the prose used in the lines. But it's still fun. But now, now we finish off September. Yes, yes, I know. We're still moving along here, so bear with me, people. We're... We're, we're going. 
I got to see the 1984 classic Night of the Comet. Finally, finally got to sit down and watch Night of the Comet, and it was just so much fun. I mean, you have Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney. What more could you want? And uh, it was so much fun. If you haven't seen this movie, and there's probably a lot of you out there who have and are calling me, you know, names right now, you're telling me, I can't believe you're yelling at your iPhone or your iPod or whatever you're using this to listen to, like, I can't believe you haven't seen that in the comment, man, what the hell? Hey, again, this came out in 84, and there was probably a long period of time where a movie like this was not available. So, I'm going to credit... Horror podcasts like Night of the Living Podcast, Bloody Good Horror, Drunken Zombie, for and Scream Queens for making me aware of these films that I maybe didn't know before. And I'm going to throw Talk Without Rhythm in there as well because these are the podcasts that have helped me to fill in a lot of these gaps in my horror uh, library and the my movie watching. There are obvious gaps in the history that I'm filling in. This was one I heard on those shows, and I fucking loved it. It was so much fun. It's just, it's so 80s and crazy. And you have Jeffrey Lewis, who is turning into this, I don't know if you would call them, they're not zombies, they're like cannibal mutant things. And it's so 80s. It's so over the top, but I loved every second of it, and I'm definitely picking this one up. I think Scream Factory did a release of it on Blu-ray, a special edition, so that's definitely getting added to my library here very, very, very fucking soon, because I need to own this movie. So it is definitely Skewer Universe approved. I highly, highly, highly recommend you guys check out Night of the Comet. Comet! Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet is something else entirely. I don't even know what the fuck that is. So, we now move into October. Uh, some of you know there are plenty of people out there who do the one movie a day for 31 days during the month of October. 31 days of Halloween, 31 days of horror, it's the horror marathon. And that's what I'm doing again this year. I did it last year. I missed 2016 because I had just got the job that I'm working at now and I just didn't have the drive to try and do it. But this year I said, no, we're doing it. And I'm going to talk about it on the show. So we are, we have done 10 movies so far. Day one. Anti-Birth from 2016. Three stars. Okay. Just weird. Uh, I don't think the build was worth the ending. So, Anti-Birth. Yeah. Eh, not, not a real recommend. Night 2. Hell House LLC. I had heard a ton about this from so many people online. Different podcasts. Spoiler free, of course. And I gotta say, I went in with kind of low expectations because it's another found footage. 
And there's so many found footage movies that cannot do it right. I actually really enjoyed this one. I thought it was it was fun. It was creepy. And I gave it four stars. It's good. And I know the star rating is kind of weird. Like, why well, stars? It's what Letterboxd does. So I'm giving you the ratings that I put in Letterboxd. My opinions, that's what I did. So, yeah. Hell House LLC, a recommend. Move on to night three, and we watched from 2016 The Boy. I actually really liked it. I had heard kind of mixed feelings on it from both sides. Some like it, some don't. I actually thought it was fun. I gave it four stars. Really creepy, really kind of messed up when you get the overall picture of what was happening. But the performances were good. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Then night four. This is <laughs> this has been so far the lowest point in this whole Skewered Universe Horathon. And yes, I created the hashtag Skewered Universe Horathon just for this month. And I am using it every time I post. You will get sick of seeing it come October 31st. But that's what we do when we podcast. We promote. We create hashtags. And we get in your heads. So, night number four. Now, let me tell you, this came about because I was on YouTube watching some videos like I do daily. I'll go on there just to kind of unwind after work. Randomly, this Watch Mojo video pops up of, oh, so many greatest cinematic devils. And one of them in there was this movie from 1990 called Mr. Frost. Talking about, and they were talking about the character of Mr. Frost, which was the devil, portrayed by Jeff Goldblum. And my girlfriend and I went, okay, it's fucking Goldblum. Well, he was the only good thing about this movie. He he turned in a performance that I really liked. The way he portrayed the devil as someone who's so like, well, you don't believe in me. Well, I'm going to have to show you exactly what I can do. And I guess if you don't believe, I'll just prove it. You'd, you'd have to see it to see his performance to see what I'm getting at. But, uh, yeah, it... <sighs> Two stars. Bottom line, two stars. It's it's not really a rec something I'll recommend, but if you stumble across it, look, it's available on YouTube for free right now. I don't know if it's 100% legal, but it is from 1990. It is a low-budget film, so I'll leave it at that. Check out Mr. Frost if you want. Meh. So then night five, night five. Oh, I finally, finally dove into... John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980, and oh my god, this is how a ghost story film should be done. I'm not saying people need to copy the style, I'm seeing they need to take notes, learn how to build tension, create atmosphere, and just tell a decent story. And when you really break down The Fog, the story is not that complicated. But it's so well executed and so well done. And the performances from Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins, Jamie Lee Curtis, Hal Holbrook, right? Hal Holbrook. Well, I'm double checking because I don't want to misspeak here. 
And yes, Hal Holbrook, even Charles Cyphers, Sheriff fucking Bracken himself, Charles Cyphers. Every one of these people gives a, a good performance. Carpenter at this time really knew what he was doing. And I'm not saying he doesn't know now what he's doing. I'm just saying that every director has ups and downs, but this was a point in Carpenter's career where he was just nailing stuff. You had Halloween just a little while before this, and then you get The Fog, and I was blown away. Everything about it was everything I had ever wanted in a ghost story film. It it was really, really good. Even Leanne enjoyed it, and I think for the most part she wasn't really looking forward to seeing it, even though she's probably as big a Carpenter fan as I am. But she even had fun, and it was awesome. Five stars. High, high recommend. Highest of recommends, especially for Carpenter fans. If you haven't seen it, see it. And I will say, steer clear of that 2005 remake. No. 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 I'm going to get close on this one. No. Do not watch it. I am right on the mic telling you no. It is the same as me getting right up to your ear and whispering, don't watch it. Do not. Oh, my screen went blank. Okay, sorry. Phone screen went blank. Now, we just keep rolling. We go to night six. The Exorcist 3 from 1990, another George C. Scott film. And wow, this, this, was, another, this was another five stars for me because... It was, wow, it was insane, man. It was so good. And the, the best performance, and I'm not knocking George C. Scott or anyone else in this film, but I will be damned if Brad Dourif did not steal every scene he was in. And like I said, I'm not taking away from Jason Miller. I'm not taking away from George C. Scott these guys, I'm not even taking away from Scott Wilson, who just recently passed away. Herschel from The Walking Dead. He was also on CSI. He was in so much stuff. Uh, rest in peace, man. We're going to miss you, especially as horror fans. But man, Brad Dourif was just so intense. And just... Ugh. There was something about a Brad Dourif performance that captivates me every time. I, I always buy into his characters. Even even as the voice of Chucky in Child's Play, I bought into the character because there's a realness to what is underneath that plastic doll. The voice coming through is that of someone real. You know what I mean? There's, there's something to it. And this performance was way beyond the performances in the child play films, but holy shit, Brad Dorif, I have a whole new respect, and I respect him the fuck out of this guy, seeing all of his other stuff, but now that I've seen this, this is probably one of his greatest performances ever. Ever. So Exorcist 3, five stars, it's a high recommend, check it out. Uh, I rented it, did I rent it? Yeah. I rented it on Vudu. I think it's uh, it's available on Shutter. 
I don't have access to Shutter on my TV, even though I bought the subscription through the computer. And that doesn't tie into the Amazon add-on, so it's a whole big thing, and I didn't feel like hooking my laptop up to the TV, and I'm rambling again. Uh, yeah, so Exorcist 3, bottom line, go watch it, five stars. Go to night seven, another high point. We've three nights in a row, so I, I knew at some point, I know at some point, I'm going to hit another two-star like Mr. Frost, but number seven... It's Hard Candy from 2006. Ellen Page, Patrick Wilson. If you guys have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about with it being a horror film. Some of you would be like, well, no, it's a suspense drama. Bullshit. Bullshit. This is a horror film. The things that are done in this film are horrific. And it was so damn good. Another five stars. High recommend of Hard Candy from 2005. And we're just gonna we're gonna move right along in the night eight. And I got to check out the 1976 film, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And I know some of you be like, oh, I thought that was 2014. You don't understand. There was a movie before that. But if you're listening to this show, obviously you know that. But there might be a few, a few that wandered into the theater here, the theater of the mind that we're in this little podcasting arena, and don't quite understand that the 2014 film is a sequel, prequel, remake sort of thing to this 1976 version. I gave it two and a half stars. I mean, it was okay. I think what really killed it for me was these over-the-top comedic elements. Like, there's these serious moments, and these moments with the killer doing the end, then you have goofy, like, Keystone cops down in Texarkana and it it took me out of it it really really took me out of it so that's why it's two and a half stars I mean as far as horror history watch it if you're like me if you're someone that's just a casual horror fan you're like oh hey Talented of Sundown maybe watch the 2014 version of the town that dreaded sundown see if that's more you're liking this is gonna be you're not gonna get through it And we're going to roll into Night 9. Now, Night 9, two nights ago, we sat down and we watched Hereditary. And holy shit was this great. This is one... Remember earlier I mentioned there are some movies that I wished I had seen in the theater? This is one of them. Hereditary definitely would have been infinitely better seeing it on the big screen with the great sound systems in that, but I still loved every second of this movie. I mean, it is probably one of the best horror films I've seen in recent years. It was well done. Very well acted. I mean, Toni Collette, Jesus, she she was so awesome in this movie. I mean, the emotional beats, everything that she did. I mean, I'm just going to look at the list here. I'm telling you, Tony Collette was great. Alex Wolf that played the son, Peter, he he gave a hell of a performance. Millie Shapiro as the daughter, Charlie. I mean, wow. She was good, too. Just this, like, disaffected, nothing, you know, 
you couldn't really gauge her character at all, but she was so good. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, he was good. There wasn't a whole lot for him to do, but Gabriel Byrne is one of those guys, if you go, hey, you're just going to do this, he does it well, and he did it well in this. I mean, okay, I'm not knocking his... I'm not saying he didn't have a lot to do or that he wasn't important. He was a very important character in this movie. It was a very key role, but he didn't have to do the heavy lifting like Tony Collette and Alex Wolf and even Millie Shapiro did some heavy lifting too but overall Hereditary was amazing it's another five stars on Letterboxd for me high highest of recommends from Skewered Universe it is it is a platinum status recommend I just made that up I don't even have <laughs> You know, an approval rating. I usually say it's skewed universe approved, one hundred percent. This this goes beyond that. This is this is just great. If you're looking for a a disturbing and at times really messed up and a slow burn, hereditary is definitely for you. I will say, if you're going in there thinking, oh, it's this type of scary movie, or there's going to be jump scares, or there's going to be this, that is not the type of movie this is. It is, it's a, it's a slow burn for the most part, but it's atmospheric, and it goes completely into a different direction than I thought it would, and I appreciated that, because I had no idea where this thing was going. So by the end, I was, I was all in. Hmm. All in. <laughs> Wrestling fans will get that. All in. Cody, Kenny, the Bucks. All right. Well, <laughs> seems like that joke might have fallen flat, but hopefully my wrestling buddies out there get it. Hopefully wrestling fans understood when I said all in, why I chuckled. The rest of you that don't know, uh, it, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I've dealt with it my whole life. Some people like wrestling, some don't. Yeah, I still do. I'm 38. I like wrestling. Fuck you. <laughs> That's not a like insulting fuck you. It's like, a, eh, what the fuck do you want from me? Huh? All right. So last night, night 10. As I haven't chosen a movie for tonight, I will do that as soon as I'm done recording here. But I got the checkout from 1981. The Clint Howard vehicle, Evil Speak. The story of young Stanley Coopersmith, who is at a military school and ends up using a computer to summon, essentially, the devil by means of Richard Mull as an evil, the evil spirit of a priest from way back in the day and ends up taking vengeance upon his bullies at school. And I will tell you this, I loved every fucking second of this movie. Does it move slow in parts? Yes. But I will say this, by the time it gets to the point where Stanley is in full-on possessed mode, you're on his side, because he is bullied by these guys, and <laughs> his, the only kid who really likes him in the school is, I believe it's Haywood Nelson playing Kowalski. 
Yes, Haywood Nelson playing Kowalski. And if anyone out there is like me and you recognize names and faces, you will know Haywood Nelson as Dwayne from What's Happening and What's Happening Now. Yes, that guy. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, wait a minute. I know that guy. I know who Kowalski is. Why his name is Kowalski, I don't know. But hey, people have different names, right? But it was so funny as I see him, I'm like, I know that guy. So I had to pause the movie and look it up. Sure enough, it's Dwayne from What's Happening. Now, if Raj would have showed up and rerun, it would have gone into a whole different place for me. But anyway, also another guy who shows up in this movie, and I was trying to place him for the longest time because I knew his face, but I thought he looked, well, he looked a lot younger, but he was... His face was more angular, sort of Christian Bale-esque. Sharp kind of features, angle. Anyway, uh, Don Stark. Don Stark. You know, Mr. Pinciotti from that 70s show. I mean... <laughs> Donna's dad. It's it's funny, because I saw it, I'm like, I know this guy. And then I saw the name in the IMDb credits. It clicked. That's Donna's dad from that 70s show. And he's done a ton of stuff. Don Stark is one of those guys. You've seen him in a ton of shit. But I just thought it was funny. And, of course, Clint Howard playing Stanley Cooper Smith. I mean, I enjoyed everything about this movie. It's a, it's definitely has... <laughs> Let's rewind there. I loved every second of this movie. It is definitely stamped with the 1981 year. I mean, the computer he's using is this giant monitor with everything built in and the green screen and the separate big, like, you know, 80-pound keyboard and then the giant, like, disk drive on top that I think was using 5-inch? Hell, I don't even remember the size, but, you know, okay, those of you who are older, like I am, 38, well, we're not older, but, you know, any kids listening won't understand. You know, the big plastic floppy disks, the black ones you used to use on the Apple IIe in school. Some of you will remember. That's what this disk drive looked like on top of this computer monitor. And uh, it was just, it was so cool. It was cool. I will, I will warn you. There is uh, one thing that happens that I kind of wish didn't. Um... I'm going to go that far because it, it, it really, uh, it was, it was heartbreaking, but it provides motivation for the character. So I'm going to say this, if you, if you get attached to Fred quickly, like I did, it's, it's going to hurt when you see what happens and I'll leave it at that. But Evil Speak, another high recommend. I gave it five stars. You want to know why? Because it was fucking fun. Because it was 80s, and it was fun, and I loved every damn second of this movie. And I was I was rooting for, for Stanley, even though he's sitting there trying to summon the devil to, to kill or get revenge on his bullies. You know, Don Stark as Bubba and these other assholes at the military academy. I was totally behind him. And I think that's just something that used to happen then. 
in the 80s. They would make a film, and they're like, hey, this kid's getting bullied. Well, what if he summons the devil and takes revenge on his, on his bullies? It's like, yeah, yeah, let's see that. And it wasn't like, oh, but here's the consequences of his actions. It was, he had enough and found a way to fight back. The end. And I love that. Just... And then it was kind of left open-ended, but nothing, nothing's ever come of it. I mean, that was 81, this is 2018. I've heard nothing about a sequel or anything. But Evil Speak was a lot of fun. And actually, going right into it, Evil Speak is going to be the cult classic recommend for this episode. I know I haven't done it a lot, but every episode from now on, you're going to get a cult classic recommend. And the definition of cult classic is what I feel may be a cult classic. You may not feel that way, but I'm going by my definition. And if it's listed in a cult classic section somewhere online or anywhere for that matter. So that's that's where we stand right now. That's what's been going on. That's the start of the 31 Days Skewered Universe Horrorthon. It's going to be fun. It's going to be crazy. I always, by the time, even though I don't do a daily movie review like El Goro over at Talk Without Rhythm, and I commend him for that, the man is a fucking beast. Because I know by the time October ends, he is wiped out. I can't. I couldn't do it. I don't have the constitution to do that. There's no way that I could do it. I'm barely hanging on talking to you guys for an hour and five minutes here. And I'm hoping, hoping that I kept my energy levels up. Because I know the first time I went solo, it sounded like I was bored as shit. I wasn't. I was more nervous. But, I will say, I could have gone a different way and been like, uh, Welcome back to the Skewered Universe. I am your host, Jeff, and tonight we're going to be reviewing some classic tales of ghost stories. See, I didn't want to go NPR with it. And that's what that sounds like to me. I'll be like, oh, man. No one's going to want to listen to that. Hey, hey, some of you may like that. It's not my thing. When I want to listen to a horror podcast, I want some energy. I want some flow. You know? And... It just said flow, and it made me think of something, and I'm not going there. So that's going to that's gonna do it for this episode. The cult classic recommend is Evil Speak. Check it out. If you have Amazon Prime, it's on there. That's how I watched it last night. Uh, definitely worth it. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. I am going to try and do uh, one special episode since this month, October and this year, 2018, is the 50th anniversary of Night of the Living Dead. So I'm trying to get something together, sort of a retrospective of the three, uh, the trinity of Romero's dead films, Night, Dawn, and Day. I don't know why I did this little sorting thing with my hands. You can't see me, but I guess it helps me get things going. So that should be coming up soon. Hopefully, middle of the month, I can fit it in. Uh, it's it's going to take some doing, but I'm not recording a show every day like some people, which I commend them for. So I do have time to get a special episode out for you guys. But there is something uh, a little serious I want to touch on here before as I close the show out. Uh, 
my friend Patrick over at the Scream Queens podcast. You know, the podcast where horror gets gay. He is doing the 2018 Halloween Potathon. That's right. There will be 21 episodes, about 21 movies in 21 days. Now, this is not just, oh, hey, we're reviewing 21 movies in 21 days. Give it a listen. This is this is going for a really good cause. This is benefiting new alternatives. All the proceeds that are raised for this are going to new alternatives. This is to benefit homeless LGBTQ youth. It'll get them off the street. It'll give them the opportunities they need to seek a career, to get off the street and further their education. And it also lets them know that there are people out there that do give a damn. Because they shouldn't have to be on the street. They shouldn't have to be out there homeless. Nobody should have. Especially these ones. Especially because they just feel so isolated at a certain point. I, I gather from what I've heard. From what I've heard Patrick speak about. It's, it's really rough for them. So let's as a community kind of get together. Let's, let's listen to Patrick's potathon. Alright? So you go to Scream Queens. You go to your podcatcher. You go online. You subscribe to his show. Today, October 11th, day one, is the first episode of the Potathon where he has on Dandy Darkly and they're talking about Tales of Poe. I haven't finished the episode, but I can tell you this it is really fucking funny and it is really good. And you need to listen. We need to donate. Let's help these youth out, man. Because regardless of their orientation, they're people like us. Let's. Let's do our part and help out. Listen to the Potathon, donate to new alternatives. And I'm going to give you the link here. And then I will also share the listing of the episodes with the link so you guys can go there and donate. And Patrick has issued a challenge. Since there's 21 episodes, donate a dollar an episode. That's $21. What are you going to do with $21? I mean, yeah, you can go to 7-Eleven and buy some snacks. Or you can, you know, that's a month for your gym or whatever. But most of us can take $21 and donate it to this. And if we all, all of us, I don't know how many of you there are out there listening to this. But however many there are, maybe, just maybe, if we each pitch in $21. Because I know I'm doing it. I'm donating. I'm I'm going to lay it down first right here for the skewered universe. I'm putting in my 21 bucks. I'm listening to every damn show. And you know what if I can if I can do it, I may double that donation by the end. You know what? I'm going to. I am going to start off. I am going to donate 21 in the beginning. And come October 31st, I will donate another 21. I will double my donation to $42. Come on, let's start a trend. Let's get it going. You guys, donate 21 bucks. Just donate. You can go to https colon two backslashes fundraise dot new alternatives nyc dot org backslash sq. The sq stands for Scream Queens. I will say that again. That is https colon backslash backslash 
fundraise, F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-E, dot new alternatives, N-Y-C, N-E-W-A-L-T-E-R-N-A-T-I-V-E-S-N-Y-C, dot O-R-G, backslash S-Q. Once again, that S-Q stands for Scream Queens. Let's do it. Let's help these guys out. Let's help these youth out, these LGBTQ youth. They need help. So what better way than us horror fans bonding together and donating to help them out, huh? All right. Well, we ended on a serious note there, but keep keep listening. Keep listening because I'm going to have some fun stuff coming. But let's... Let's donate to new alternatives, guys. Let's let's help Patrick with his potathon. Let's help him get that get some money raised for new alternatives, alright? And until the next time I talk to you, keep enjoying that universe. That's just a little bit well skewered. <laughs>